Welcome to another episode of the Crudcast. Um, this is Uza, and I'm here with. My name is Ezra. Right, and um, unfortunately, Tolu isn't here with us today, um, so there's no one keeping us from making this as nerdy and as techy as possible. Um, uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> I take offense on Tolu's behalf there, but yeah. Uh, no, no, no. We, we can't just do some very serious deep dives and leave her hanging. It has to. We have to. A lot. You have to admit we've talked a lot more about the business side of things as well and social thing, which is a very good perspective. It's. I'm not saying her perspective isn't wanted or appreciated. I'm saying that we don't have that balance today. We can be super nerds. And All right. Apologize, apologize next week. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah, so, hi, and welcome. <laughs> so, um, before we get into the actual techie nerd talk, um, I just remembered that we started watching a new season of Archer. Oh, you watch Archer now? What do you mean watch Archer now? I've been watching Archer for a long <laughs> time, like... When you mentioned it, I was very surprised. I didn't know that you were into the show. <laughs> okay. All right. I think episode four should have been last week, which I'm yet to see, unfortunately. I'm beginning to slack. But yeah, I'll bounce well, back. Yeah. I, it's, it's a, it was a surprising show, and I kind of um, like the way they have... I, I love the, the, the season... What's, what's, what's the way to put this? The season um, the season length running jokes, right? That's okay. exactly what I was thinking of. Okay. So, like, um, I think it was, like, season two, where anytime someone said a sentence that was ambiguous, he would be, like, phrasing. Uh-huh. And, in, and, and since then, after that season, like, he would even avoid it. He'd be like, no, we're not doing that phrasing yes, thing. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> That's kind of weird. Although in season in this season seven, they kind of mm-hmm. also made jokes to like, oh wait, are we bringing phrasing back or something? Yeah. Yes, but then he said no. So they're not <laughs> exactly. Um, I kind of liked the show. It was very nice ongoing story, and um, there's also pretty good character development. Like I can't believe Cyril figures is their boss now. Oh wait, yeah. maybe we shouldn't. We shouldn't spoil it for people who haven't watched it who might be interested. Uh, I mean, so, everybody kind of saw something like that coming. At least, well, no, season I didn't. seven. No, I mean, season seven is supposed to be full of surprises based on how season uh, six ended. So, yeah, I guess, yeah. But yeah, that was that was quite interesting. But I mean, even though he's the boss. Um, mm. Ultimately, Acha and Mallory are still the ones calling the shots. So, seems just boss in name, you know. But I mean, he, I mean, the company is his name. He's the one who is legally this thing. But mm-hmm. not much has. But you know what? Actually, I think Mallory has taken more of a back seat. Like she doesn't seem as overbearing in this season. But that's another well, story for me. Well, well, yeah, there's that too. Hmm. Um, and and the, the new interesting romance between Archer and um, Lana. 
this is new <laughs> they have no. a child together what do yeah you no i mean like the stay like was it the old they stay getting all mushy about it um towards the end of last yeah. season yeah. yeah and then and it, to the point where it's even annoying co-workers yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Right. so um if you're ever interested in a random show to pick up and watch um try archer Definitely but don't watch archer. it at work not because one, you shouldn't be watching anything at work, and two, it's not very appropriate. <laughs> and I'll just remind you, this is the crowdcast, so our recommendations are not necessarily the most appropriate at all times. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So, um, what do you think about the new ability to run Bash on your Windows Ten laptop? You hey! don't, don't have Windows Ten right now. <laughs> Wait, hold on. First off, I'd like to thank my mom for buying me a Windows computer. I'd like to thank God for making me stay true to Windows, knowing that one day, one day, we would also be, we would, we would get honor. We waited patiently, we hung in there, we believed, and thank God, the light has shone upon our land. Hey. Well, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Um, yes, one minute of silence for all those Windows haters. Now that we have those tools, too. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was pretty so, much. So, one minute, you have to give me one minute, no talking. Oh, oh. Bro, I'm very happy. Okay. Very, very happy. You can't even, it, it couldn't have come at a better time. <laughs> I, um, I just, I, I've talked about my background a couple of times. I came from doing design in the browser to actually do programming and I'm moving backwards further back I just more recently maybe in the last two three years started doing things with the server and I've ne- I've just stuck with my Windows machine because I was most comfortable with it and now that I'm more interested in that side yeah you know, they bring Linux to me hmm. <laughs> yeah I mean um I think this this is something I've always wished would happen someday. I know um, from my days of using Linux primarily on my laptop and then, well, up to the point I had to switch to using a Mac instead. But, um, yeah, it's something I've always wished would happen. And I was genuinely surprised, surprised? and excited, you-, you know, when... Yeah, because okay. I, I actually kind of like um, followed the story prior to the official announcement, you know. Um, I don't know if uh, you're aware, but I'm kind of, um, I am an insider on Windows 10. It's an open thing. Anybody can join it anyway. But yeah, so you get exposed to new builds, experimental builds. Oh, yeah, builds your early. desktop machine. At yeah, home. yes, exactly. Yes, yes, I remember that was um, the Windows 10 beta build and stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, basically, you are kind of we're, we're, um, almost always like maybe like two builds ahead of everybody else. I'm ahead of stable because I'm also kind of like on the fast, uh, fast track or fast channel, wherever that is. Anyway, long story short, so like I kind of like got a hint from one of like the change logs and then went to read up and then saw um some other microsoft developers you know talking about it writing about it and then um, i think they also brought in people lean actual linux guys who would never touch windows with a 10 football you know bringing them in to like you know see how 
this works like actually giving them a copy and you know just go play with it and you know tell us what you think and all of that and then you know everybody was basically saying all sorts of exciting things about it and then i was just like oh wait like this is so because this is no more you know all all of that oh i have because i want to do linux stuff on my system you know and you, you have to get to a Mac. It, or or you want or you have to install a virtual machine you know to to be able to do all yes. of that yes. or maybe install sigwin or something right which uh, pretty much you have to basically recompile every app for Sigwin to be able to because Sigwin only gives you the tools and all the utilities it's not like you can literally run a Linux binary on your Windows laptop you know just like that the way it is right now so like yeah so it's it's very very interesting very fantastic I'm very sure um, Windows users who do um, um, what's, what's it called now um, web development yeah well yeah i mean besides that you know the whole um puppet and Cibu, you know orchestration yeah that's what i was going to say and all of that because right now um, a lot of orchestration tools have not been available to windows users you know they just primarily focus on unix type what? machines and what? all that you're even talking about orchestration tools. <laughs> what about Docker? Docker just recently yeah. became officially available for Windows. I was, <laughs> I was mind blown. I, I mean, like it, it felt like Christmas, except yeah. in almost middle of the year. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, like I mean, it's it's ultimately good news for a lot of people all around, and also yeah, I mean, um, closing that gap. Um, what what's 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 the word you know when they say um, fragmented ecosystem and all of that and mm -hmm, then, yeah, exactly mm -hmm. so all developers can yeah pretty much develop on the same platform ish right now you know right. without saying oh right. I'm the Windows guy so I have to wait until someone thinks treat for me and all of that you know yeah right and even, even, the even more so your tool sets right yeah. those are you can you can then write bash scripts mm -hmm. for things and as long as you the person is on a target windows system that has linux access you can yeah you can run like a script that will you know cat through things pipe things do you know like the basic things linux mm -hmm. environment people have been exposed to and they can do very fancy things very quickly and windows has been more graphic user interface programs. There's mm -hmm. no, I mean, some do have exposed APIs, but it's not the norm. You're not going to run through it, but a suite of tools that have those. So, well, you can say there's PowerShell there. I know. Well, which, 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 is, which is very, very powerful in like everything you just said now, you can do it in it. But then, which, right. bring, which brings me back to that um, fragmented um line that i made like right. okay so now rather than you know um you want to accomplish the same thing on windows and on a mac or on a linux system and so you have, you write a bash script bash script get towards this set of people and then you write a powershell script get towards this other set of people now you can just write yeah everything in bash without thinking without overthinking it right now, knowing yeah. that the tools are available yes everywhere. exactly yeah and um, then I'm sure now we'll even get more interesting package managers, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, um, besides chocolatey and all, yeah. Oh, 
I, I, I don't know what's going to happen to Chocolaty. I mean, I'm sure there's still a very useful place for them, but yeah. once you but once you start having access to these so Knicks base, <laughs> yes, yes, like I mean. <laughs> Yeah. You can do apps get right now, you know, and just install your MongoDB, install wherever it is you want to install. Yeah, and yeah, everything just runs. Man, it's like Evan, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is it is a nice change of pace and it kind of makes you I mean, so what do you what from your take, what do you think about the possibilities with um so in Nigeria, um, we have tons of very cheap computers, access yeah. to very cheap computers. Um, so what sort of possibilities do you think this opens up for people? Do you think like we can now start, you know, just buy a cheap computer from Computer Village? Um, you don't have to worry about clearing the OS on it and re-building... Um, Linux on it and make it, you just upgrade to the newest version of Windows and you have those suite of tools and you can do some fun stuff with it. Um, you can have your own desktop server at home, sorry, your own home server that you can do things with, but still has the Windows thing so the rest of the house can use it. Um, I, I don't know, am I overthinking this? What, what Do you think this changes anything <laughs> for the Nigerian ecosystem? I don't think it changes every, anything for the everyday guy because they, they don't even give a shit. They don't know anything like that is going on. So I don't yeah. mean everyday guy. I mean okay. developers. Developers. Uh, well, so now here's the thing, right? Um, I think it now comes boils down to the question of how many developers in Nigeria are actually versed with Linux tools, you know, and... Yeah, like it comes. I think it comes down to that question as well because, uh, well, most developers are very happy with their Windows machines. So far, so good, and all that. That's me. Not this is not me even trying to knock on anybody. I know, and um, even a lot of guys that have Macs that use Macs and all of that. Um, they barely go below the surface and all of that. They try as much as possible to stay out of the command line. I know. So. Yeah, which is why I actually went straight, died straight to orchestration. Like, yeah, so most of the people who, like, sit down in the command line, I know, are people who are already familiar with maybe administering their servers, I know. And I'm, I'm actually, like, just speaking generally now. Um, I'm, it's not based on any sort of scientific, yeah, exactly but i will assume okay so these are people who are already comfortable with like you know diving into servers setting up nginx set, setting up php and all of that you know and running their apps themselves or something and now uh these guys are realizing oh wait uh, you know all of those things that i can do on my server that i wish i could do on my laptop you know but I have a Linux VM installed to be able to do that shit, you know, that kind of thing. Now I can just do it natively on my system without thinking and all. So, yeah, that's that's where I kind of see the excitement coming from. Because, well, for even most of my colleagues right now, I know uh, there's really not much of a difference these announcements will make for them. Because just like, eh, yeah. Yeah, that kind of thing, right? So, yeah, that's 
that's that. Okay. Um, so it's not going to make much of a difference to your colleagues in general. Okay. Um, I can see that. I mean, you're right. I don't think very many people are interested in the... They would rather have a nice graphic user interface with the buttons to click to get things done. Yeah. But which is exactly the people Windows that you... as being Windows. I mean, as been whatever it's... Right. <laughs> it has been right. all, all, yeah, so, all along. Yeah. So I get you. So yeah, the people that it would make a difference to are the people who already do the hardcore, like you said, server administration, um, things with Chef, Ansible, and what they have to do to get it to work on a Windows machine is like having VM mm -hmm. or like do virtual box or whatever it is. Or using or, unsupported I mean, ports, um, Windows ports and all. Right, yeah. right. Hmm. I, I, I guess, I hope over time it makes, I mean, the possibilities over time would be more obvious because um, I don't think... Um, Maybe my experience might have been different if Linux had always been something that was accessible from the Windows environment. But I grew up using Windows, and now, you know, this, and now it's found out that actually most of the world has been really doing programming on this other thing. <laughs> and it's like, but am I going to get rid of my system or like, partition it or all of those? But now that it comes baked in, there'll be a new generation of windows users you know like people who are born in countries where macs are very very exp i mean i think in every country a mac is very very expensive but <laughs> even more so in some other environments but now they have access to those tools yeah and so you don't necessarily have to grow up and be a, a code fusion developer because you were you know born in a country where you didn't really get the chance to grow up with the Are you Linux trying to knock on coefficient developers right now? No, I'm not. I'm me. just saying that you... Because I used to okay. be one for so many years. <laughs> and I'm sure you know this. No, I know this. This is not a knock on you. I just mean okay. like people are... Like... I get you. People, I get you. What you're exposed to in your background is what kind of forms <laughs> your, your development. And um, I, I grew up doing, I started programming in PHP from WordPress. Um, and in WordPress, I discovered yeah. um, event-driven programming where you don't like, you, where parts of your system respond to certain actions. WordPress has an actions and filters hook system. So you just plug different bits of component and logic into them. Mm -hmm. And I liked that. And even moving forward and doing more JavaScript, I've built things very event-driven. And then you discover things like Nginx, which is an event-driven um, server sort of thing. Um, I don't know if server is the right word for it, but that's the only, it serves your files. I can't, I, I can't remember the actual word for what Nginx is right now. Um, an Apache, but anyways, web server. The point. Reverse proxy. What? I said web server. Reverse proxy. Okay, great. Good, because when you when you first think of server, you think of the box that holds everything. Then you realize Nginx is on that box, and it's also called a server. And you're like, huh? But anyways. Who's um, Anyways. Don't embarrass yeah. us on this show. 
I'm not embarrassing anyone. <laughs> okay. All right. But, um, hey, I was just saying, like, this, your background kind of informs or moves your development process and how you think about systems and how you see them. I was saying my background in WordPress exposed me to actions and then JavaScript sort of helped with that whole event-driven thing. Mm-hmm. And um, I, read, I, bought, I listened to a podcast this week about a lady who is a Haskell programmer and um, it's, her, it's the first programming language she learned. And I would never have imagined Haskell to be an accessible programming language, right? Yes, exactly. I always think of it as that programming language of after you've programmed for many years and you've dealt with the errors and issues of having X, Y, and Z, but not having this in this other language. And you're like, I need that purity. I need that perfection. Mm-hmm. Then you reach for this glowing, hard syntax very, very ridiculously esoteric. Um, <laughs> yeah, well, there are many functional languages, but Haskell's <laughs> own is on a is on an aggressive level that um, you, you don't. Anyways, the I, point I, is, I, I guess so. I, 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 I guess maybe I, just mentally, I no, put Haskell. I, I think, this. I think, I think it also kind of de- um, depends on you know. So when you're learning programming. I know this was basically our first programming language and she was coming from the perspective of someone who has never written code before, right? Um, yeah, I think it make, it kind of makes sense because at that point, um, she's being fed information about uh, programming. She's seen programming in a functional form, right? And she's being fed mm. it in an ask, with an Haskell syntax. She has no biases in the past to try and reconcile against and be like, right, uh, but right. this is how I think this thing should work. And okay, you know, so there's it's an entirely blank, clean slate, you know, and yeah. And to be honest, yes. yeah, she would actually even take it and grasp it better than and faster than any other person who is coming from. Well, as long as the interest is there. So, which it, I guess it's is, funny you mentioned that yeah. because the lady herself, like, Okay, so she's writing a book with someone, exactly. um, the guy who so, taught her Haskell, yeah. right? They're both writing a Haskell book. And um, he, the guy, he said it took him about five years on and <laughs> off to learn Haskell. To learn. And she learned it in a few weeks, right? Yeah. And it's like the guy has like a long list of programming languages exactly. that he's... Um, versatile with and i guess that very c-like syntax that you see in javascript and see in many other Mm -hmm. languages helps with familiarity when moving between things like i mean there's a bunch like yeah yeah no i agree with you when moving between a couple of languages that's yeah Oh. Right, learning JavaScript wasn't super scary for me because it kind of looked like PHP anyways, right? <laughs> but then learning, you know, Haskell, as soon as I look at the sample code, I'm just like, oh, more, this is not, this is not, this is not for me. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just pack this up. <laughs> we'll just close that browser tab. <laughs> Let's go back and see if they've released a new episode of Archer yet or something. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But, um, yeah. Yeah, so she learned it in a few weeks, right? And um, she said that she was struggling with it until someone explained it to her in a different way. 
So her background is she's a linguist. She studies languages and um, English. In, well, maybe not English. English is not the right word. Forming yeah. sentence structures and being able to create, um, the, understand the rules of a language. Yeah. So um, what sort of combinations of things can you use to create a valid sentence? What are the ingredients? And so the way the person explained it to her is like, think of a sentence as a function and then your verbs, your adverbs, nouns, pronouns, and things as parameters that you pass into this function. Now, you know, like there might be certain rules, like let's say this function does not accept, or sorry, there's certain grammatical rules. Like if you use a negator, something like not, like mm-hmm. I am happy. And if you inserted the negator in, it sort of affects the entire context of the sentence, yeah. right? Or if you inserted a verb or a, 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 all those rules of language, basically, mm-hmm. she sort of twisted those ideas and made it into a linguistic thing. And it's really clicked for her when she was learning Haskell, as soon as the person explained it and the type system and everything, thinking of it in terms of language yeah. and being able to construct and all of that, it made perfect sense. And that's where it hit for her. That's, that's um, actually, I, I'll actually say that that's a very good way of learning a new language, of learning, sorry, of getting into programming in the first place, right? Because to an extent, I think that was that was kind of like how it worked for me too um, as a kid. And now, you know, um, basically, uh, I think when, when you start talking about the negation and all of that, that just brought it up. For me to like yeah that that kind of makes sense because you know when um, control structures and control flow and all that you know and then you like oh if the standards and all of that like it just reads like english right and then mm-hmm. it kind of makes sense your your teacher says it in such a way that it makes sense and then you write it down you make a couple of mistakes when coding because well you I get into verbose with your stuff and thinking so much like English, right? Like it's English. Then you get, you get like nudged in the right direction and then you realize, oh, okay, yeah. So even though it's like English, I know, you know, um, some things are not necessarily like exactly as they should be written in English, like, oh, not equal to, or I don't know, like, Basically, it's a good comparison, yeah, but not an exact. Yeah, particular. not so yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, but ultimately, you learn programming by thinking of um, what you want to solve, thinking of your problem in your language or in English or something, right? And then you know, trying to like, yeah. So I guess that's that actually that's actually a very good way of teaching someone. And um, I mean, I think. It's also something that we should explore because we kind of tend to forget about these things when, say, we're trying to introduce a new person to programming these days and all, and trying to show them a new language. Um, We kind of neglect it and just dive straight into, like, the nitty-gritties of the languages and, you know, start telling them about objects and classes and whatnot. (laughs) You know, inheritance and, yeah. and um, then the, the person is just confused like what the f- like man you know and then you know yeah. they, they give up after the second day because they're just like you know they can never understand this shit yeah <laughs> and the reason why it's the second day is after you're still there the first day full of excitement and you don't want to disappoint you exactly so it's after you've left yeah. they decide like, no, you're like, like mm, yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
you know, uh, um, yeah. I try to, I try to get my um, girlfriend to do something with. Um, there, there was a, there was, a, there was something on GitHub, mm-hmm. and the person did um, Korean proverbs translated to English, and um, I look, I, I, I was looking through it for some weird reason, and I, I read one of the proverbs. And I'm like, I think that he, so he gives an illiteral English translation and then he gives um, illiteral English translation of the sentence that he gives what the proverb is supposed to be saying in, yeah. in, in English, right? Yeah. And I was looking at it. So after reading the literal translation, I'm like, I don't think his translation for what the set, what the proverb is trying to say is correct. So I showed it to my girlfriend who speaks and reads Korean and I was like hey um, take a look at this and tell me what you think this proverb is saying and she's like oh no I think he got it wrong and I was like yes I thought so right so now what I wanted to do was get her set up on github get her to fork this project make the edit and you know merge it back yeah right we did not get that far until date, <laughs> she has not touched GitHub since. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> because so, you, you like, probably just started using complex terms with her now, and then she's just like, I, I, I know. Like, I, I, I can never I even try it, to explain. I can never understand this understand. shit. <laughs> so, we're doing a pull request. <laughs> so, click this and then try and, and, I, and I thought because I was trying to use the, the graphic user interface, it would be easier, but yeah. I didn't really explain what was happening and why it, why it was beneficial. I think I gave some very terrible um, example. But, um, and also, because of, it, it just, it's funny, it's, it's as if you listen to the podcast because she was saying that, like she said something that was so relatable to what you said. Okay. That, oh, yes, yes, yes. That when she, because it was her first language, all the yeah. Haskell um Tutorials she was seeing were very. They or they took it for granted that you already program. You're just learning Haskell. So there was a lot of things about programming that they did not bother trying Try to, explain. to explain. They just as yeah. So it just went straight into a bunch of concepts and like yeah. you know. So she's like, so they were talking about iterators and she's like, what is an iterator? What does it do? How do you use it? Right? Yeah. But they already. They They've skipped that. They, like, yeah, the assumption is like you, I mean, you know what it's it like, is. like, wait, what? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So you're right. Those things were, those are things that are taken for granted. That um, so they were talking about it, and that's so it was kind of interesting to see that there's a pairing of someone who has been programming for many many years, and someone who is learning her first programming yeah. language, and it's has. And they're both writing a book together. And so the guy writes something and then he presents it to her. Like the initial first chapter, she looks at it and she's like, uh, wait, what is this? How is this? I don't get this. And he now has to break it apart into other different chapters, expand on some ideas, realize that there's some foundational knowledge she has completely missed mm-hmm. to help her get to the point where she understands some concepts. Um Anyway, I, 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 think, thought I, think this, I think this makes sense and I will actually like to get the book when it's out. Cause yeah, it's actually kind of out. Oh, um, you okay. know how they do these days where it's online. And right now, I think the book is at 90% completion. Okay. But, um, 
it, it should be online. I'll, oh, I think the link is haskellbook.com. Okay. Um, but I will cross I guess, check yeah, again. And then we can share at the end of this um, show. All right. Yeah. Um, yes. Also, she's using, so she now started teaching her son Haskell, right? <laughs> and the guy goes around and the book, sorry, the, the author of the book yeah. goes around doing one-on-one things. Like anytime he gets a chance to teach someone Haskell, he does, he, he prefers doing it one-on-one. And so he also exposes them to the book material and gets that feel of like, are they grasping it? And then it helps him with rearranging and creating the the material that that people are going to use to learn it and structuring it in a way that it's digestible even though you've never programmed before yeah. um making it more accessible i i i thought that was super cool yeah makes sense i'm on the site right now and uh, yeah i'm actually like um yeah <laughs> i'm very interested um, in reading it eventually you know I was, um, I, I, right now I'm actually reading this book about Erlang. Um, okay. I, yeah, you were asking me about that earlier and I was wondering why. I just gave oh. you a very wish-wash answer, like, uh, yes. I. <laughs> <laughs> it's made by Eric Sinamarco. <laughs> <laughs> um, job, you've covered everything you need to know about it. <laughs> uh, no, um, you, you're the one who dives into way more languages. I mean, if you think I've forgotten that you're Nigeria's best coder, I haven't. Oh, God. Not again. Thank you. <laughs> I'm messing around. But um, I, I thought maybe there was some insights you might be able to provide. But anyways, I was reading an Erlang book. Um, just started reading it, actually. Um, okay. So I would... I would like to sort of take a look at the Haskell book and see in comparison maybe the Erlang material, the, the places where I'm completely confused, yeah. like page one, for example. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I can see you got very have, far. <laughs> I just say like, the book is confusing right from the start. I, I opened one book. And as soon as I looked at the the first, I'm like, no, no, no. This book was not written for me. This book was written for people who have been, who have, pro, some of them probably wrote like a language as their thesis in school. Yeah. And then they're just introducing them to Haskell. Okay, I get it. Sorry, airline. airline this book yeah. is not for, I'm not in that category. We need people who started looking at WordPress first and then are interested in systems. Then we can write a book for them. But, um, I would like to take a look if the Haskell one is way more easy to absorb. Um, it seems like the more better or more pure a language is, or the, the better constructed a language is, the harder the, it is to get into it because there's so much technical consideration to, I mean, that's what makes the language as good as it is. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, I... I'll I have to check out. I haven't actually looked at the Haskell book website at all. Oh. Um, I just remembered it from the podcast. Um, I was kind of curious though, like what you, you you've talked about your background okay. a bit, but what was the thing that got you into programming? How did you even? Where did your background start? Like how why. What was the thing that got me into? I think it was curiosity mostly, and um, 
maybe not having lack of better things to do as well at the time. So, I mean, I was young. I we had a computer in the house, but we had no television, you know. So, I essentially moved from playing random games to playing computer games to, yeah, trying to understand how are these computer games written, you know. And really? Yes, curiosity, I, I mean, said. <laughs> no, I, I get that. But I mean, yeah. like, I'm not even sure how that leap happens. Like, so you're looking at the, the, the file for pacman.exe. Yeah. And you're like, hmm. What's the code inside that? I literally opened up this. <laughs> I opened up those files in Notepad all the time. Um, no way. Yeah. Like so, and of course, this. So that was kind of like when I first that realized. Cool, oh, okay. Right? Yeah. Um. These are what's it called? Binary files. I understood the concept of binary files. And then back in the day, now, um, a lot of applications come with INI files and all of that. You know, in different in their directory structure. So enter into the INI files, look at settings and all of that, mess around with a couple of things and see how they impact the application, you know. And then I had my first uh, use of a registry, sorry, not a registry, you know X editors now, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, I used an X editor even before I got into university as well. Um, uh, randomly opened up an exe file, changed it, swapped out a couple of icons and all of that, you know, that kind of thing, and then pretended like, oh, yes, I wrote this up, you know, you know, like change out the credits, put my name there instead, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, you know, all those, those little things. So it, it was kind of like a slow, it, it, it's not like a leap, like, do you think it is like, oh, I'm, from playing a game, I just suddenly think, Oh, I want to write a game. No, it's yeah. It, there was like this curiosity, just messing around with stuff and all of that. Yeah, on and on and on and until yeah, I started. Uh, I think so. Like um, I, um, there, there was this app. It was kind of it was supposed to be an AI conversation app or something. You know this um, pseudo AI toys of back in the day. So you like say I, and then the computer says I back to you. And then you type something, then it tries to respond based on what you've typed and all of that. Sometimes with no context oh, whatsoever. Siri, so it forgets like Siri's the last... grandmother. Yes, sir? Siri's grandmother. Yeah, exactly. Like no context whatsoever. So it kind of even forgets like the last thing you told it because it just mm. works based on the immediate past thing you've told it, right? And stuff. So um, I think using that was kind of like this... I had this, I can do this feeling in me. Like, yes, this doesn't seem so hard, right? Like, it's exciting to use. My siblings are very happy typing to this thing and um, uh, and getting the responses and trying to force it into bringing out even more funny responses. Do you know what? I think I can do this. So, and then that's all ginger of, oh, I can do this because in my head, I've already distilled everything into some basic QBasic lines of code, you know, that I, that I just have to write, like, oh, Access input, search for this word or this word in this sentence. And these are the options of the output that you can say back as um, as uh, as responses. Pick any one of them at random. And then I even try to be a little bit smarter about it so, as, so I can chain responses. So if this was the response it gave you the last time, based on what you said the next time, 
this should be what it should say so the conversation can look like it was fluid. And then seeing my mm. sister, I'm sorry, seeing my siblings use the one I wrote and finding it funny kind of just reaffirmed that, oh, yes, Ezra, you know, you're on your way to being a developer. Yeah, so you can you can you can actually put your name in the credits and <laughs> I I, yeah, exactly. Yes, yeah, so that's just that just yeah that, that that's basically how how I started. Yeah, I got into. Hmm. And I it's I guess I'd never been curious. I I I'd always known what I wanted to do was on the web, so I never had that curiosity with my desktop computer um i never opened up any of the things in notepad <laughs> or messed with registry even till dates like i can't even tell you that i've seen like a registry thing and except for like maybe there's a program that's being stubborn like yeah, trying to register on the oh, store the i'm like no 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 i'm going to go and remove the registry <laughs> go away you're not you don't belong on this system yeah i got um, you but were you ever worried that you'd break your computer, like going in and editing the actual file, or did you keep a backup of the actual thing? And then, have you? Did you ever break anything? So, or? I so I think I, I was a bit reckless in that regard as well. But it kind of um, helped that I prior to that, um, I'd seen our computer engineer, the guy that comes around to fix or upgrade stuff for us, you know, tear down the computer and put things together, install Windows, I've seen our audio processes. So I was already kind of used to all of that. So I, um, and then I was very confident that I could do it myself, which I think I did at least once or twice back then as well, right? So ultimately, you know, when opening and raining stuff at the back of um, my head, I just knew it was a matter of... You can fix it. Yeah, exactly. Like there, there was really nothing to think about. So I wasn't thinking of backing up or anything at all. I just knew I could fix it. So I didn't care. However, I was going to fix it would depend on what damage it is that I caused. So, yeah. Would you... So so you didn't actually even like keep a copy of the content of the file somewhere else or just make a duplicate of the icon... Sorry, of the... <laughs> Of the year, Charles tried then, to edit. Well, maybe I yeah. did, maybe I did not. Young man, this is like how many years ago now? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. If you, I mean, it's. I was just curious. Yeah, maybe. I, I know, I know. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I probably did. I probably did not. But then, obviously, um, over time, as time started progressing, at least up to the point where yeah. I could, can remember messing around with stuff. Yes, I know. I back up things before I play around with them. I, I. Yeah. I was one of, um, how would I put it, this, basically I used to mod um, GTA back in the day as well, mm. GTA 3 and 4, you know, just like, yeah, mess around with, yeah, with the binaries and stuff and, yeah, you yeah. know, so that was, that was also interesting as well, but of course at that point I'd already um, developed the culture of backing up, backing up stuff before I mess with them, so, yeah. Hmm. There's that. Okay, would be would be kind of interesting to hear other people's, you know, how they got technical it to, backgrounds. Yes, exactly. It's it's how they be, how they actually. got there and how it's influencing. Hmm. Okay. Speak. What about you? Is there anything from those days that is currently influencing your development practice, or has it all been revamped and changed? Are you asking? Yes, I am. <laughs> okay. 
That kind of sound. Okay. Uh, let's see. No, I'm not sure, to be honest. I mean, it's like a very fluid thing. So far, so good. I've just been like changing with the wind and all that. I mean, up until today. So I'm not exactly sure what I would say um, has been influential since back in the day. And I just can't seem to let go of today. You know, that kind of thing. I don't know. I can't think of that. Okay. Mm. All right. I I think my mine is that event driven thing. Once once I discovered it, I actually discovered it in JavaScript first, and I realized I've oh, been okay. using it in in WordPress. And since then, I can't think of building a system that is not, not event driven. Okay. Like, uh, <laughs> how are we going to do this imperatively? Like, I'm not even sure that I know anymore. I just <laughs> have systems that are separated and talk to each other even even my rest api points like you it'll be something like you hit this endpoint and it'll broadcast like oh um this endpoint was hit with these parameters and then there'll be a there'll, there'll be a place where i've bootstrapped yeah a bunch of hooks and things to listen to it so i can literally just Add, like if I wanted to do logging, for example, it's just easy to just add a hook, something that listens to everything and then logs it to console, writes it to a file or whatever I need, however I choose to do logging. So instead of having a very, I, I, I see, I don't even know how other people would have done it, but mine is just broadcast the event, the rest of the system will know about the event and you can do whatever. It makes it easy for me to extend things if there's something that, like, for example, if I wanted to, to confirm, like, so let's say a, a response has been sent, mm -hmm. and then I now wanted to track the response time, I would add a hook at the end of the response, and then put something else in the system that listens to that end of a response, and then just collects the time or whatever I need to do it. It that event-driven way of writing a system is just ingrained in me now. Even even now in the browser, I just that's kind of why I like React because it's like oh, data changed, and then the rest of the system knows oh yes, yeah, just render this, change this, yeah. update this, remove this. So I mean, the second I saw React, I'm like exactly. Someone gets hand thinking about this. <laughs> um, this has been writing the DOM like, but then mine had been like. When the event happens, then jQuery will modify things or reset them back to their default state. But now there's an actual thing that I can just drop in. So that's something from my past that I I haven't been able to shake. Um, I'm kind of curious. So yes, event-driven systems are now how I see it. But I'm looking forward to looking at you know other languages like Haskell. Not really, but <laughs> Erlang more specifically, because I feel their way of doing things, building rock solid, reliable systems, will there will be things I can take from there and learn that will inform how I'm going to program in the future, how I see systems, if I even want to touch JavaScript ever again, for example, you know, I don't know, but I'm curious to sort of go on this journey and see what other people are doing out there and how they're getting things done. I'm still, I, I have my event driven 
worldview and I need new perspective on things, new background. Yeah. Um, so I think now to go back to your question, I know um, about if there's anything that's uh, informed uh, your background. Yeah, I know. I would um, in that in that in from the context in which you've discussed it right now. I think what I would say would be imperative programming and how, to an extent, it's a little bit, um, it has been kind of, um, will I say difficult or kind of look like magic when I look at um, syntax or functional programming. I know. But then I guess that's kind of like the same for almost everybody out there as well who is in my shoes, who has done, um, who hasn't done Erlang or Askel or any of, you know, this. Um, not maybe not necessarily because I think my JavaScript has been pretty functional before I even learned about functional programming languages. I mean, obviously not strict functional, yeah. but the way I, I I write a bunch of utility tools that you pass this in and it it there's no global state, so you kind of I mean. Yes, there, there's actually one global state object where I keep everything. <laughs> but what I mean is, Haskell is a much stricter version, but many other languages are like provide the tools for you to write functional code. Not necessarily, like for example, PHP, you can actually write functional no, code. No, 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 yeah, sure. It's, I'm so now, me, I'm, I'm coming from like um, how you think about stuff. How you think mm -hmm. about, yeah, because um, what's it called? Um, right now, Still, when I try to think of a problem, I think of the different steps I need to take to achieve, to accomplish, uh, what's it called, to solve the problem, right? And then if I have to abstract anything and all of that, yes, I write all my abstractions so that I can keep the main body of my code as clean as okay. possible. But ultimately, okay, okay. Wait, yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, sorry, sorry to cut you short, but let's use a very practical example. Okay. Pretty much everybody who listens to this podcast would have to write an endpoint for a server for whatever reason, <laughs> right? Yeah. Whether it's a REST API or you're just serving a, an HTML page. So you now, you want to write a REST endpoint. How do you think about it? How do you structure it? Um, am I writing the entire server as well now? It's your server. It's your program. You write everything. The entire web want. server. No, you're not writing a web server. <laughs> no, like I wanted, just... I wanted to know if I should dive into how I'm going to write the express code as well and stuff. But, yeah. No, well, okay, well, if you you can use that example if you want. Um, I don't, I don't think it's very necessary because I don't think beyond people who are actually writing JavaScript and have to use Express or you know write everything yourself, most people focus on their language and they have something that does the serving part, Yeah. right? Yeah. But then work that needs to be done, read this file, extract this data, transform it, and give it back. How do you structure? Okay, so um, I would say um, I'm, I'm going to the database here now. Anyway. Yes. yes. All right, database. so I listen for a re um, request on pods, whatever pods it is. Um, okay. I parse the URL to like see what are the additional parameters when basically to see what the route the intended route is and okay. then once I know the intended route I jump to the code for that route and 
Yeah, if it's supposed when to you like... Say, when you say jump to the code for that route, is it like in a separate file? Is it a function or is it just like... How, how do you structure that? So it can be a function. It can okay. be... Yeah, it can be a function. It can be code in... The, obviously, code in a separate file, perhaps, and all of that. But ultimately, it's, all, it's, all, it's a function anyway. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, there's a function that, well, so the way I understand routes, or the way I've been using routes so far in the different languages I've used them is, it's, um, there's usually like a function tied or bound to that particular endpoint or something, right? So, right. yeah. So it's the initial function that will receive it yes. and whatever. Yeah, but and then, then, yeah, now decides on which function to call based right. on the route, yeah. Okay, so those functions now, like, yeah. so do you have like a, for example, read file function that then you just pass it the path inside your, inside the receiving, the function that receives the, the thing from the server, do mm -hmm. you now write like, does it just contain like path information and then you have abstracted away read file or do you just know that, okay, this thing is going to read this file and you do it right there inside that function? And obviously you abstract away. Not obviously. Not everyone does that. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Obviously, you should abstract away because I mean, writes everything once. Mhm. Mm I I get that, but then that's you know like not we can't we can't assume everyone does it that way, which is kind of why I'm kind of yeah asking. I, I, yeah I, I guess you right like for me I don't even I don't think I do it that way like is when I've written something three or four times that I'm like, okay, I need to abstract this away. Yeah. So initially, my, my, the function that receives it will just broadcast an event with the parameters. And then I have a listener somewhere that will pick up on that event. Mm -hmm. And then I have, the, there's something I wrote in, in JavaScript. I put it on NPM a, a while ago. Um, but basically what it does is I can, cre I can create steps, logical steps. And it's long after I've done that that I realized that's exactly what promises and a bunch of other things do. Mm -hmm. But I can write logical steps and catch like an outcome or like proceed to the next step if need be. So I'll just have like step one, you know, get, get this from the database. Sorry? It's SCGS tasks. Oh, how do you remember? You remember the name? You just Googled it. No, I, well, I remembered Notice Board. So. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yes, so I Googled yes. Notice Board and yeah. Right. It is CGS task. Um, I basically had all those things structured in steps. So it's like step one, do this. And to sort of enforce that, like you even need the the name of the task, even though it's not used anywhere, yeah. so that it's very logical. You can say, okay, step one, get this data from the database. Step two, do this with this data. Step three, do that. Mm -hmm. And if there's a failure anywhere, you can just go task.end and pass like the, the error. So like, and then it would basically tell the caller, the caller function that actually handled the endpoints that I, I screwed up. So the function could be called login. And then you pass it the username and password, and then it does, it follows the steps yeah. inside. So it's, um, inside it, I don't think I, would, I may have immediately abstracted away reading from a file or connecting to the database or any of those things. You get what I mean? Yeah, I guess you. Yeah. 
I would have, uh, like you said, the right thing to have done would have been to abstract those little details away. Yep, but yep. I don't. I abstract the whole task away <laughs> in case anyone else or any other part of the system needs to log to in. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So you can literally, REST endpoints can do it. But if for some reason I wanted to write some back script that allows you, like single sign-on, for example, uh-huh. and then I'll just add the, like, the single sign-on endpoint, I'll just do that. Maybe it needs to get the username and password based on your Facebook token, uh-huh. right? So you pass it the Facebook token, that thing will just get, you know, username and password. Then I'll just call login function. Login function will do its thing and return it back without thinking. So I, I the very nitty-gritty steps, I don't abstract away, but the whole task, I I'll be like, you. that's you. You do that. I get you. Um, yeah, sorry, I kind of hijacked that. No, so, no, 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 no. Let's, um, I think ultimately, right, um, uh, I won't say, I, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm an expert per se in uh, understanding what the, uh, what the fundamental differences between functional and imperative languages are today, right? Because, um, well, it's not like I write any single functional language today. Um, well, besides making use of the functional features in existing languages that we already use and all of right. that. Yeah, so um, let's see how the Ascal book goes. And um, I think this would be the first thing I'll be committing to, like, reading on the show. And, yeah, yeah we'll see how we'll see how that uh, progresses and how my appreciation of this... Um, how far I've come with it here? Yeah, yeah by, uh, by the time we record our next episode and all that. So, Which kind of reminds me, you, you did mention Go a little while ago that yes. you were writing but some... I, 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 was, I wasn't committing to anything then, but yeah. No, no, no. I, I'm not saying you're committing. Okay. I'm just remembering that you had this experience of a new language. And yeah. I was kind of wanting to, since it's kind of related, touching on that, see how that has been going. I know you've actually, you actually used it in production for a couple things. Uh, but no, I didn't say I used it in production. I said I was looking to use it in production. Oh, yes. okay. Yeah. What was your experience with it so far? Let's just say I'm still looking to use it in production. Mm, but I mean, in the learning <laughs> specifically, right? Yeah. You know, I, I'm not, I don't care whether you use it in production or not, but yeah. what, you, what you kind of... Yeah, I mean, it's, how, it's, how is the learning process? It's a, simple, has it, it's a simple language to grasp. I don't think there is any... It's, it's, it's just like a moving from, like I don't know, maybe C to C++ or something, right? Like, it's still the same basic... Uh, it's just understanding dif- the different syntax. I know. It's, uh, yeah, it's still the same basic procedural shit, um, functions, classes, wherever. Yeah, that we're already used to. Uh, and then maybe a little gotchas here and there about immutable, mutable, variable, yeah, stuff. Yeah. But yeah. Right. Uh-huh. There was. I think so far, because I've not exactly done anything production with it, and I'm just like casually learning at the moment so i'm i'm very sure i've not run into the interesting bits of things that would make me be like oh my god you know i need to talk about this on the next episode so yeah Mm. um i read something earlier this week that just reminded me i didn't i didn't even see the connection when i read it until just now um 
TJ Holloway Chuck, um, some yeah. guy who's written a bunch of libraries for a bunch of languages, um, most notably JavaScript so far, yeah. uh, or Node.js. Um, so far, he, um, he just came out with a new company. Really, oh. Yeah, the company is called Apex. Oh, okay, and, yes, uh, I think I read about that. Yeah, he had a product he was working on called Apex, but yeah, it's a company called Apex, and um, I don't know if the company does the same thing as the product or anything, because the post was very, it, it, it wasn't really clear on what he was doing. It just said, oh, I've started a company. Um, but anyways, the point I was getting at was Apex, the software, is uh, something that works with AWS Lambda. Lambda, yeah, Lambda functions. I, yeah, me being, not being the server guy, I have no idea about Lambda functions or AWS's... Well, uh, you technically don't have to be a server guy to know about Lambda, but yeah. Because well, the whole idea well, is to not be a server guy. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. But then the people who would immediately... Know, like, It's not like they're front-end developers looking on AWS for the new tools they make, right? Yeah, I guess the you. people who first discover it yeah. Uh, developers. Yeah. Anyways, so the point I was trying to get at was um, this. This when I when I read about the AWS Lambda thing, mm -hmm. the first thing I thought of was this. Like, not first thing. It's just in this conversation, rather, that I just realized that the way I write and structure things that are separated into these callable functions. Mm -hmm. So, I'm 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 not a server guy. Um, I just know what I, I I just know enough about the language to make it do what I need to do. Mm -hmm. But where the server is and all of that infrastructure managing it, I have no idea about that. Mm -hmm. And as much as I want to learn about it, it seems like AWS Lambda is that thing where I can have my login utility and yeah. my smaller utilities that it just calls and like then I now have a function that listens to that response to this particular um, route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it calls this and those. that function does its sub-little things and then comes back to me. And there are all these um, stateless functional programming functions that just do functional this. You give it this, give it yeah, this parameter <laughs> I guess and it you. will give you back. Yeah. So I didn't really think about it that way until like I was describing how I'll write a login function and then I realized, wait a second, that can fit in very neatly on AWS Lambda and you know like I can write little adapters over different things that are just functions that modify the data to the way I need it to be, which is, I mean, what Haskell does and um, all these functional programming languages. I didn't really think about it, but mm -hmm. it's kind of, nice to realize that maybe I don't need to be a server guy. I can just pay AWS all of my life savings eventually. Make you sub Lambda. <laughs> well, I mean... No, I, I'm, I'm sure it's, it's worth looking into. Um, I think... Uh, I'm not exactly sure I've paid it much attention besides just reading about it um, at some point. And then I think I read someone's... Um, was it called case study about how they used it in their uh, in production for a particular mm -hmm. um, for a particularly complex app that you would typically just wonder how the fuck 
does this happen mm. without a server in the mix you know yeah, things like that like okay so registration login um uh, what is it called email sending on registration you know with a link to activate your accounts then you are in you upload pictures you do this and all of that and then you know so they were basically like just describing how the specific lambda functions that were listening to each um, activity and then what the lambda functions were doing in the background and all of that yeah so yeah um i think that was that was like the height and then for me it's just like oh, okay yeah this is interesting and all of that but i was not exactly looking to exploit exploit it yeah so i just moved on and all yeah and but, the, the thing is, is that it sounds exactly like how I write Node.js programs. <laughs> <laughs> so if I could just, like, I mean, it's nice that this thing is there. So even if I, I mean, I still love JavaScript, but even if I didn't, it's kind of nice that this entire paradigm yeah. of structuring programs is not just like a thing, but like a well-supported, you can do it, the um, you can, re you have scalable hardware that Amazon will provide an infrastructure system yeah. based on just this way of thinking and looking at things, not just your monolithic application, this thing, but they're like, we know that there are people who structure their programs that way, mm -hmm. which is nice because I don't, I didn't know that. I always just thought I was weird that way. And it's nice to, I didn't know what it was called. I just did what made sense to me. Now I need to go out and find people who do it this way and learn from them and, get better at what I do. Yeah, I get you. Um, there, was a, there was a topic that we were planning on talking about and I don't want it to get lost. Something about browsers and what your browser knows about you? Yes, how your browser is a giant snitch. That's <laughs> what. <laughs> I report you without you knowing. Okay, um, so let me get the URL again so I can like look through... Um, All right, so um, yeah, basically this little guy wrote um, a simple application that can tell, uh, basically it's a simple web page that just reveals what your browser, what it can tell about you anyway. I know mm -hmm. using your browser without triggering any sort of permissions whatsoever. So, you know, I'm sure you used to like this um, notification uh, oh, this website would like to send you notifications or something, or oh, Google.com would like to know your location or something like that, right? But all of this is oh, you um, and then you know for some reason explicitly exactly because because for you you might think okay if you say no to sites that say they want to know your location, there there is no way in hell they would be able to tell your location anymore, right? Since well, you just said no to them, so you are just one blank dot on the face of the earth. But oh, sorry, you are wrong because well, your the browser, browser already gives up. <laughs> <laughs> There's just some guys that were being nice and asking you. They can actually just get it. They, exactly, you know, they can just get it anyway. So yeah, like right now, so I have my location. Well, it's not so accurate. Um, it says I'm in San Jose right now while I'm in Mountain View. You don't have GPS on, do you? Or you're using your laptop? Yeah, I'm using my laptop. Yeah, I know. Yeah, because when I tried it on my phone, it was rather accurate to an extent as well. But uh, yeah, so we'll go on. Uh, and yeah, 
well it knows the operating system i'm using i've never considered that to be a secret anyway so i guess that's really? fine well yeah that's true from the server like, yeah that's how you're able to your, mm -hmm. yeah exactly so there's that um it knows how many cores my cpu has now that's interesting and it knows my gpu um my gpu hardware i guess that's fine because maybe perhaps with html5 right now they need to know whether they can render shit on canvases you know whether webgl and all of that can be i don't know and that's what i'm going to assume because technically the browser talks directly to your gpu to render all of these things right mm -hmm. yeah so i guess that's fine but oh, well wait. yes but it's exposed in javascript that's the complex confusing part that you get what i mean like i can understand the browser doing it transparently yeah. behind the scenes but okay exposing okay. this information to you yeah i get you i get you so which means anybody can like yeah then but then interestingly it knows my battery is currently not charging not mm -hmm. only does it know it's not charging it knows the battery level and it also knows the time yeah. remaining like okay I don't know about time remaining. Yeah, hmm. it knows that. And it's telling me that right now. And I'm like, okay, wow. Like, you can literally just tell, you know, by just, by me visiting your site. I know, you can yeah. literally tell that I'm probably not, yeah, I'm probably not going to be, maybe say, so if you're Netflix now, you can tell that this movie I'm about to start watching, mm, probably not finish it or maybe i'll go grab a charger later and yeah track me yeah essentially just tracking me doing all of that shit like oh okay so maybe i was enjoying the movie at the 50th minute and my battery was on 12 percent so i went to I plug it in so it must have been that your battery is about to die. yeah so it must have been you know it must have been that i really like this movie and not like come on nigga how why why do you think you have the right to like be so creepy like that and you know just know everything about me? Yeah, but I mean, hey, it knows. Uh, I don't know. Battery <laughs> level is useful to know. I I think you can even make an an argument for battery level as opposed to core. Yeah. Cores on your processor. Okay. But anyway, so yeah, um, connection. Well, previous page. I think that's that has always been easy to get if you are very smart. You can always tell. Where the guy refer. you said, yeah, exactly right. Um, public IP and local IP. Now, the question is, how the fuck did they get to know my local IP? That one I was very confused about. It can discover <laughs> devices on your network, <laughs> yeah, because so I mean, by virtue of it, hey, knowing, really by of it I... knowing your local IP, right, then it can just do a ping on, um, what was it called? Or like between um, the last octet between zero and two five five, and just know if any other devices respond and tell you, eh, well, you have a server Wait, in your house. Like, your browser you have can a do router. That. Yeah, apparently your browser can do that. We are still scrolling down. I will still get there. But I mean, it already knows your local IP. I can tell your download script, um, download speed. But then I guess that's yes, that's okay. also easy. Yeah. So. Yes. Page that, the server that is serving you the page can tell you that you can see how fast you're receiving exactly it. yeah so yeah um and then your browser can always respond when it's done loading everything you know respond back to the server so the server can just tell like oh between when i start sending this information or something mm -hmm. yeah so that one is it's not really yeah all right so there's a 
social media, it can tell I'm logged into Facebook, I'm logged into Google, I'm logged into Twitter, I'm logged into Dropbox, I'm logged into Blogger, Amazon, Instagram, Google+, Spotify, Stack Overflow, and Reddit. Um, so there's an explanation, which I think I'm going to read later. SDKs? Yeah, explanation of how does he know all of these things, right? So I'm going, in my, off the top of my head, I'm just going to assume, oh, it has probably has to do with cookies and all that shit. But wait, hold on. Um, the login no. page will redirect to a favicon if the user is already logged in or save a regular HTML page if the user isn't. The script you create an invisible IMG, this, this, this. Oh, okay. There is actually like um, an, old, an entire process to figuring that out. I know. So oh, so it hits a bunch of endpoints and yeah. analyzes the data. Yeah, it so back if, if it gets a favicon, that means you are logged in. If it doesn't, um, then that means you are not logged in. If it returns an HTML page, which I'm going to assume will be the page for you to log in. Okay, so, yeah. that's interesting. Um, I I just that wouldn't have surprised me because all these things have SDKs to integrate into your site. So yeah. there's. There's no reason why, like, if you have an like a Facebook thing, you can know if the user, is, like, wait, you just you just do that. Uh, what's it called? What's that thing? What's that that? Uh, Facebook page embed, where it's like this yes. and X amount of your friends. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, but I mean, all that information is um, to Facebook, and it's happening within the Facebook embed thing. Not like your site can like just tell, and use the information without even displaying anything re uh, related to Facebook to you. But yeah. see, that, that Facebook embed, it yeah. actually communicates with the Facebook server and then gets a bunch of this thing. So your site can gleam from that. Like No, it, I know, I know. But in this case, there is no embed at all. So the site, the site is not even telling you, it has no visual, water. it's not telling you in any way that it's trying to like, interact with your facebook oh, right yeah that's that's, that's the creepy part i'm talking about here like so but the the visual part is just responding to information you already got if you could do that before you can do it and what stops you from doing display none that <laughs> you get like my my point is it's not surprising that you can tell where people are logged into and not logged into because i mean if you, that that's just yeah Anyway, so there's that, and then moving on, there's clickjacking. Apparently, Facebook and Google, um, Google, yeah, Google fixed it. Um, Facebook, okay, so it seems to be working again. So let's click and see what happens. So I click on this Facebook link, and uh, hold on. Oh, they liked a Facebook page on my behalf. Oh, that's evil. Yeah, that's nice. Uh, and this is that they did it on, on, like they triggered it on click, but there's nothing stopping them from just doing it transparently. Yes. Without. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like they, the guy liked his own page. Very sneaky guy. But anyway, fine. <laughs> Yeah. Very, very like you just very, you yeah. just ended up showing me a link and said, "Oh, click here to see the page you just liked." 
and I clicked and yeah, opened Facebook and then oh yeah, I've liked it. That's that's very crazy because <laughs> you, I would have thought that there would be a how do you put it? Like you needed the SDK and you needed to log in and give permissions and cookies to the sites to be able to do these things on your behalf. Yeah. Like so then why are we using the SDK if you can just randomly well, that, 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 that's why it's, that's why it's not supposed to be right. <laughs> thank God, what? Thank God, Nigerian marketers don't know. Like, don't know. Just, things, as, as soon as right. you land on you just like the page you, automatically. You start following them on Twitter. You start everything. <laughs> <laughs> downloading their Spotify tracks. <laughs> things to listen to while shopping on Jumia. Yeah, shake, uh, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway yeah so the the gyroscope bit um well so since i'm looking at it on a laptop it has no information right now but when i was looking at it on my phone it was able to tell um the orientation of my device and then make a, a guesstimation as to whether i'm holding the phone or the phone was lying on the table which I is fine guesstimation wasn't working for me oh i'm not going to lie it actually works for me because I placed it on the table and then, yeah, when, when it's like at rest for a bit and none of the, um, what's it called, dimensions are changing for some time. It just like changes oh, to like okay, where it's okay. laying on the table. But when you hold it, so yeah, it works based on how. The, so now, yeah, that makes sense because you might like think, oh, okay, um, those figures maybe off the top of your head, they don't, they necessarily don't make sense to you. But like those approximations you can make about how this person is making use of your device you know can yeah am i watching netflix lying down in bed am i you know things like that am i lying on my side or you can even start or how is your device positioned while you're watching or you can even start doing some very stupid things like oh um hold on maybe um um, 50%, sorry, <laughs> 70% of people lie on their left side than on their right side, you know, when browsing the internet. And you're like, okay, how, how the fuck? Did, like, you <laughs> I see what you yeah, mean now. I didn't think of it that yeah, way. Yeah, like, I'm, yeah, I'm being very, very silly right now. But, you know... Yeah. No, no, no. But, I mean, you're, you think you're being silly, but there's, some, there's somebody who is using this information very evilly, you know? Like, the... I, I, don't, I don't know. The, like... Being able to check all this information is like, okay, if this person is on a, mo- like, for example, let's say a Nigerian scammer decides mm. to be a scam page and they can detect, oh, that this is this, this person is, like, they can no, get. No, no, I, I get, get you, yes. Like, basically use information they can, they can um, determine regarding the person's yes. current whatever state. And they use mm-hmm. that to actually feed him appropriate information on the website as well, you know, exactly. like, right. yeah, things like, so yeah, I get you. <laughs> very, very creepy. It's like, so imagine if, so the song, the person can now ask, are you at home? And you, see, you know, like, and you respond and then you have your GPS coordinates so they know exactly where you yeah, live. Yeah, where you live, right you know, there. you know. You know? They can they, they they know your Facebook page, so they can go and glean more personal information. Mm-hmm. They having the GPS coordinates and Google, you can now go online and just literally jack someone's identity mm-hmm. with little effort. Yeah, because your browser is a snitch. <laughs> 
then yeah then of course the network scanning bit so because now they already was, know your because now no. they know your local ip they mm-hmm. basically make web service calls sorry web socket calls to um, a range That's of ips web socket yeah. i did not think that i didn't i didn't yeah i was wondering how they're able to detect other devices on the network yeah so they, yeah they make web socket calls so like right now i've clicked on it and i can like see the progress you can like look at it in your um if you do debug uh mm-hmm. yeah and then look in the network tab you see it's iterating through each uh, ip address one by one and making network um, web socket calls to them so when it finds something like when there's a response from anyone, you know, it just like puts it up there, like, oh yes, I've discovered this device. Wait a second, though. That means you can. I, 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 I mean, I can. I, I always think of the positive aspects of these things, but I mean, like, thank God for you who shows me the negative part. But <laughs> the positive part for me is like you can make Internet of Things devices that are accessible directly from your browser on yes. your local network. Yes. So, you yeah. can that would be super cool that you know like maybe yeah, basically dis- discover the iot devices on your network from within your exactly. browser and right yeah. right if there was a standard protocol i mean there, there has to be I but think, if there was yeah. a javascript library for these standard protocols you can literally talk to your thing directly from the browser mm-hmm. so the philips for example i was thinking philips the company i don't know why but the Philips company would embed it into their smart light bulbs and smart everything. Yeah. So the, the bulbs just connect to the network. And then you go to the Philips page, like home.philips.com. And it would like, you know, like, you'd like, oh, you have these, these, these light bulbs and these, these, these things. And you can then label them and have your web interface yeah. automatically. So you just go to home.philips.com and you can you know, turn, start turning on and off your lights and other fancy things that they make for you <laughs> right away. Mm-hmm. I think that would be super cool. Yeah. That there uh, would just be this homepage. And then if you make it able to work offline, which you can, then you ha- you basically have the package there. Well, right now, though, um, I think most of those devices on your network, um, like IoT, once they are connected to the network anyway, they have a way of broadcasting themselves. And uh, what's it called? Um, on a maybe like using a particular local domain name or something, right? So, like for instance, you can like just visit um, kitchenfridge.local from your browser, and um, oh, really? Yes, and it will open. It will open up. So it's not like you. Well, not the fridge will open up. The website for the fridge. Yeah, well, yeah, the website for the fridge. Hold <laughs> 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 open. Yeah. Usually. So. Yeah. Yeah, like, like um, shit. Um, the name of that discovery, NetBIOS. Yeah, um, yeah. If I'm right, um, hmm. is what helps with that. Yes, I guess I'm right. Hopefully, I'm right. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, there's um, but then I I I see I see what you mean as well there because there was actually like um this. Um, um, antivirus manufacturer. I'm not sure if it's McAfee or something right now, but um, they were kind of um, sued, or there was um, there was like a backlash recently regarding um, what's it called? Them doing port scanning on your system. 
oh, sorry, port scanning your local network. Yes, it was the application. It, was, it didn't even have anything to do with their website. So you install the antivirus. When the antivirus runs, I know it starts a Node.js server on your system. Delight. Yeah, exactly. Uh, which, which um, besides it uh, trying to like listen around for stuff, like just doing random stuff on your system as well. Um, the what's it called? Anybody from the outside can hijack your system and start uh, basically do do stuff. Yeah. So not only did they write a bad program, they made it vulnerable. Exactly. Now for it's them, they guys. were not thinking of all of this. I think their excuse was like they were like thinking of an easy way to give to send you updates, right? So to them, they just felt well, node. Uh, very simple, straightforward. You know, it's just they're running, and then they can. It can always like be fetching to like check for updates and the background and all of that without um, significant what what to your system. But ultimately, someone kind of like show them how they can use it to list directories on uh, on the victim's computer, access files. You know, download. Yes, because Node is a running process. Exactly. So once you once you <laughs> once you compromise that. Yeah. Well, End of story. Yeah, exactly. So it's so. basically SQL injection kind of thing, but yeah. on your computer. On your computer. And then you they know. can yeah. literally read your files, transfer or delete <laughs> anything they want. Yes. Uh-uh. Like it, it was very, yeah, like, I mean, they apologized and took, took off the feature. Like, um, they were going to, like, they were first forming or taking it down step by step, you know, like, trying to limit what it can do and all, but people kept so someone demonstrated. Yeah, sh- yeah, showing them different, like, no, well, I can still do this. Oh, I can still do this. So, yeah, they took it off totally. What Look, they're like, okay, fine. We don't have JavaScript <laughs> programs that are You don't have to secure this thing. Don't worry. Do, do your thing. Yeah. Anyway, so that's, that's that. Yeah, like, I mean, they, they, there's always good sides to new tech. Yeah. I know, where you, like, see the convenience and what you can achieve using it and all but then just know that as you are seeing what you can achieve using it there's some black hat somewhere also seeing what they can you know achieve exactly. alongside which is why i was like thank god for you because <laughs> i mean it sounds like a bad thing to i mean it doesn't sound like a bad thing to only see the good side but then when you realize the kind of vulnerabilities you create and open up you're just yeah. like oh like how did this happen it is like um the other day I, I think I sent you guys a link about it, but someone hacked Facebook and they found out that somebody else had hacked I, I Facebook. Facebook yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> I found traces of like the file, you know, just sending back information, phoning well, old. Like, it was just the other guy being sloppy, you know, like yeah. the other guy was a lot more careful than... <laughs> There'll be this guy who's just exfiltrating all of this data and nobody knows and Facebook is going on and there's a backdoor that you know, yeah. Mm. This, this <laughs> vulnerabilities though, like all, all you systems people, God bless all of you for all the things you do, man. I don't AWS Lambda for, for life. I've always anything that manages myself for me I don't even Heroku what what do you mean Nginx I don't even know Nginx so I've never yeah like I don't even know what the I think the the most I know about Nginx was from something I did in December and I had to look at a configuration file for Nginx and help someone fix something after 
beyond that, like that was my that's my deep dive. That's my closest encounter with engineers. Beyond, yeah. I, when you're seeing people that don't know how to set it up or anything, I'm just like I'm one of them. Or I, 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 I cannot. And if if the server doesn't come like that, yeah, that's what I'm kind of worried about getting a digital ocean box because I'm like this thing will just be vulnerable out there. People will just be hacking me up and down every day. They'll be using my server to do all sorts of things. Uh, and I don't know, man. Security is a is a big big deal. Yes. And and this and your browser leaking all this information. Like, of course, I can see the good sides, but there's some very, very terrible sides to it that I don't think we even done the list. I'm sure there are other vulnerabilities that we did. Uh, oh, well, there's images. I think that that's kind of very simple. Um, Exif data on images. I think we, we kind of already all know that, you know, right now. Yeah, like, I mean, images carry geotagging information. And um, even sites like um, Flickr, um, yes, Google exactly. Photos and all of that. They've exactly. always they've always taken advantage of this information anyway to give you contextual data about the image you've taken. You know so what camera? That's not yeah. That's that, that's not here. Yeah. yeah, that's just well. I think really, now this just means the browser also can tell that. But then, well, I mean, I, like even if the browser, like once you <laughs> submitted the once you submit the image. You can just you're already you, sending somebody it just to, needed to be able to write an exif library yeah and exactly. be able to get that so i don't know that that is yeah super no, i i don't i don't i don't think it's anything serious either as well that's why i didn't really mention it yeah so yes so so my you... scan which i'd been running for some time now i'd found um a device on the network i'm trying to see what makes it determine that that's actually a live device? Unfortunately, I can't see anything. All I can see is that it actually made a WebSocket call to the IP address. Yeah, but I can't mm. see the response it got. Something. Right, because every IP address it hits, it has to hit a bunch of ports too, yeah. right? Well, WebSocket, I think the port, um, it starts with um, WS. Then column that blah, blah blah. So I guess the port is implicit already. It's kind of like when you write HTTP Google.com, yeah, okay. implicitly saying you are going to port eighty. And if you put HTTPS, you are saying you are going to four four three. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, but but let me I'm see. Kind of... Let me see what port um that goes to. I think it's the same as eighty. Though, if I'm right, no, 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 no. Sorry, no, it's not. It's not. It's not. Just remembered now, like um. I was trying to do something the other day using WebSocket, and then um, my free tier on Cloudflare could um, could um, did not let me um, because they only opened um, the it, um, they only do port forwarding on port eighty and no other ports. I know. Um, yeah. So let me just Google to confirm this. Because then wouldn't that be kind of useless? Because the devices on the network would have to have that port, this thing. Like I thought it would like take yeah, an so IP if, address so and then port is, scan every I Yeah, well, obviously they can do that as well. But that would take more time. That would take longer. 
Well, See, it's easier. It's taking a while. That's what kind of why I thought that's what they were doing. No, well, they're they just going one IP address at a time. So, like, one IP address a second or something like that. You get mm. Yeah, because if they were going to, like, do port scanning, then they would take longer on each IP address. But then, technically, if you try to reach an IP address and try to, like, uh, access something on it, right, and it's a live device on the network, you are either going to get, you'll probably get, like, a negative, like, um... That's other device rejecting your connection or something. Okay. Yes. okay and then they would know sense. that the device exists. And then you can right, now focus right. on it and yeah, now try to port scan it. Then if it doesn't even if you don't if you get no response at all, then it doesn't exist. Yeah, so hmm. yeah. That's kind of interesting. It's it, it's like all those people who um who do timing attacks so they sort of they they send something and they don't expect it to work yes. but they listen to the time it takes and knowing the amount of time it takes yes. will let them know whether you know like they whether it's whether it's something of interest or not exactly yeah. so in this case exactly the either the response or the maybe <laughs> the websocket request timing out mm -hmm. might be what tells them oh yes there is there's something there yeah, is a yeah. device here or not yeah it's very sneaky. I'm, I mean, <laughs> I I wouldn't have expected that your browser can do such. Ah, well, it's all JavaScript these days. So, eh. <laughs> it's not just. I mean, no. I mean, I'm, no. I'm just. I'm just saying. Like, I mean, you already have your JavaScript in which you can write and you know do whatever it is you want to write. So, well. But then it's the browser because JavaScript has. I mean. JavaScript is native on your Windows desktop, and I don't mean just from Windows 8 and up, but no. like you can actually double click and run a JavaScript file on yes, your. Yes, 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 on Windows. Uh, yes, yeah, a I specific know. flavor of yeah. JavaScript, anyway. VBScript. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't. I don't know which one it is. I yeah, that's uh, what it's, that's what it's it. called. Uh, I I I used it um, randomly at some point in the past as well for a couple of simple tasks. I wanted to like yeah. But anyway, so what I'm trying to say when I say this is JavaScript right now is what the site needs to know at this point is your local IP. So your mm. browser giving up your local IP enables anybody to code whatever it is they want to write in JavaScript. So right now, all they are doing is iterating through a bunch of IP addresses. It's the same thing as allowing your JavaScript to be able to talk to a remote API. Mm -hmm. Yeah, only that that remote API in this case is it's on your local network. It's on your local network, and it's just going around to see which of these IP addresses will respond. So, and you usually defend from like the, you defend on a firewall level yeah, on the outside. Yes, ex exactly. Yeah, but this one is making an outbound connection. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So, like, technically, on the port scanning side of things, there's nothing sneaky going on there. They're just making use of JavaScript the way JavaScript is meant to be used. Like, I mean, yeah, if you, if you try to the prevent... It's the browser that is leaking this information that is... Yeah, it's the browser surprising. leaking the local IP. That's a problem. <laughs> All yeah. That, yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Because, I mean, if you do... It, yeah, it does boil down to your browser. Yeah. yeah you look at it. Because if you did this in IE6, you'd just be getting all sorts of <laughs> errors and things not happening because those um, features were not built into the browser. Yeah, into the browser, yeah. And I've always been excited about the browser being like the first class computing level, like the same way Chromebook is going, but like you have actually have like a URL that is an application. So I'll go to yeah. 
Microsoft. No, I, Microsoft. Think, I think I, I actually don't have a problem with that myself as well. The only problem is, I mean, um, permissions framework across browsers should kind of be agreed upon and be very strict, you know, very and very in-depth as well. So, you know, no you means... in-depth? In-depth means, I, I mean, like cover all of these angles. Like, for instance, oh, um, I'm saying no to location sharing, but oh, well, you can still see a little bit of my location, even though I did not share that bit. You, you understand, like... You know, things like that, right? So like, before you make those JavaScript calls, you should even like from a low level be like like if you if you basically listen in on that, if you make that if you call that function, that function should know that this person, this website uh, has it, not gotten yeah. this permission. Yes, exactly. And it will exactly. an error or just exactly. Else. Yes, that's what I mean. That's what I mean there. So no should basically okay. just mean no across board, right? And Everything should be like on yeah. opt in, not opt yes. out. Yes. Okay, I get you. I get you. Um, but the problem is these things are here. Um, <laughs> they're already here. No, we can't. We can't deny it. Yeah. Um, do you want to do something fun with it? <laughs> should, we, should we do something fun? <laughs> like just work on a small little script, and you know maybe throw it on GitHub for other people to play with and do. I, I can't think of anything that will be useful right now, but um, hmm, wait a second. Anyways, I, I'm down to play with some of these and do something that is slightly creepy but fun at the same time. That yeah. sounds wrong. Oh, God. <laughs> this is why we need Tony to have let us know that this is this is not a good idea. Why do you want to do something creepy? Tony, where are you? Tell us it's wrong. I mean, we'll be able to tell how we missed down this recording anyway. When we oh, yeah. when we eventually have a rejoinder. Yeah. yeah. Alright. I think um we've um covered a lot. Yeah, covered everything we want to cover today. And all, and then I mean, anything else can be reserved till next week, or for next yeah. week, or for the next episode. You know, considering we are no longer a weekly show. We are a weekly show. We're Thanks to Uzo. Weekly people. <laughs> hey, guy. No, 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 no. Well, I okay. I missed last week. I had something to do. There's a, there's a lot going on in my personal life right now, but I had something to do last week. That's the only show I remember. Cancelling two weeks that I ago. couldn't make it. Two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, what happened? I don't know. You tell me. I, I don't know. I try to remember. <laughs> I, You're moving or something? I don't know. Oh, I moved a long time ago. Yeah. Oh, moving my friend. That was no, last no, week. no. Last week was your friend, you know, but then you and your dad or something and something about no internet, something about you sharing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like I said, a lot's been going on in my personal life. Anyway. Okay, oh, fine, fine. You're right, you're right. <laughs> I, I take responsibility for a lot of missed shows. Um, sorry, world. I, I don't think I've even been online much, like different corners of the internet. I'm just finally getting back online. I have a lot of messages and letters to write to people. Ah, life. <laughs> You'll be fine. Yeah, I will be. All right, man. So this was a good episode. I, I was kind of happy. Um, it was a nice chat. Um, don't forget to send me the link because I don't have it again. 
for this. So we can put it up in the show notes. All right. Yeah, fine. I'll do that. Right. Alright, alright, next week. Um, we are still in this show. I, I refuse to believe that we're not. Till <laughs> next week. Alright, <laughs> okay. yep. Yep. Yep.